Our presentation at this hour is to me another very, very thrilling experience. You know, many times people come to us and they say, did these things really take place? They just don't believe that such miracles are for our day. Friends, they are. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. <clears throat> this story and this experience and the lessons that we need to learn revolve around a Tom and Louisa. Tom and Louisa Moore. Now, we always substitute names, for we, we're very careful to keep confidences. Tom was a physician, a wonderful medical doctor. His wife, a beautiful Christian. We ate at their table. <clears throat> we visited together with them. They had only in the last two or three years come to know Jesus Christ in a very personal, intimate, beautiful, delightful way. We held a series of meetings <clears throat> in their city. And during this series, we taught the science of prayer. I think we ought to review for those who are viewing and those of, us, of you who are here with us at this hour, I think we ought to review a little bit of the ABCs of the science of prayer as Jesus taught them. And before I share them with you and you help me out in reviewing, let me say this. Every once in a while, somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Kuhn, I'm learning your ABCs. My ABCs? They're not my ABCs. They're Christ's ABCs. For Jesus is the one that taught them, you see. Jesus gave us the A of prayer. The A of prayer is what, everybody? Ask. ask. Now, what are we to ask? We're to ask anything that he has promised. Matthew 7, 7, ask. But we're to, we're to do our asking according to his word. For he himself has limited us in our asking in this prayer of reception type. He's limited us to what he's promised. Because he says in John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask what you will and it will be done. In other words, you may ask for whatever my word promises. And as you ask for what my word promises, you will abide in me, which means you will not be praying selfishly because when I'm dwelling in you, the unselfishness of Christ is in you, you see. So there are conditions right in that very statement. So we ask for anything that he's promised. Now we don't add to his promise when we ask. For instance, somebody came to me one time and he said, uh, <clears throat> he said, I'm praying that uh, a teenage friend of mine will be saved today. Well, I said, you can claim a promise for this person, 1 John 5, 16, but the promise doesn't say that your teenage friend will accept Christ today. This person was so enthusiastic and, and so superficial, <laughs> but well-meaning that he went out from my room all excitedly looking and expecting God to save this teenager today, a dear friend of his. I had cautioned him again and again, don't go beyond the promise. God says he'll give us, you a soul if you conform to the conditions, and the seven secrets are part of the conditions. But I said, remember, God didn't say I'll save that person today. He couldn't hear, couldn't listen, off he went. That night, his brother came to see me. He said, Pastor, my brother is ready to commit suicide. I said, your brother? He used to see me this morning, all enthusiastic. Why? He said, he said, God just doesn't keep his word. I said, regarding what? He said, he claimed a promise that this teenage friend of his 
would give her heart to God today. And God didn't do it. I said, God never promised it. He said, oh, God never promised it. He took part of God's promise, then filled in his own words, and was claiming his own words. <laughs> it wasn't God's word that says she'll be today. That was his word. When we ask God, we ask God to do what God has promised. We don't add anything to it. And we ask God to do it. Then what is the B of prayer, anyone? Believe, believe Mark eleven twenty four. It says, believe that you receive. That's why we call the science of prayer the prayer of reception. Because we receive the answer. We don't just say, Lord, do it, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to. We receive the answer. He said, believe that you receive. Prayer of reception. Now, we believe whom? We believe God. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? So we believe not so many words. When you claim a Bible promise, beloved, you don't just think of so many words. You think of God saying this to me. Lord, you're telling me this. For God is no respecter of persons. So I'm not believing so many words. I'm believing God. And because I believe God, I believe his word, you see. Some students at one of our educational centers put in a question where we're holding a series. And they said, what would you do when you don't have faith? I said, you may have a lot more faith than you realize. I said, for instance, how about doing this? How about saying, Lord? I said, how many of you believe the Bible? I think every hand was raised. Would you have faith then? Then you believe the Bible? Yes. Then you'll say, Lord, I believe the Bible. Because I believe the Bible, I believe this promise. I believe this promise because I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible because you are the one that dictated it. And as surely as I believe the Bible, I believe what's in it. Otherwise, I just believe, just believe the covers, right? And I believe more than the covers. What do you say? I believe God's immutable, eternal, impeccable word. So when we say, I believe, we're believing God. And when we think of these promises as though God were speaking to us, it makes it real, see? Lord, you're talking to me. And let me say this before we go to the sea. It's very important. Many people will say to me, on what basis do you have a right, or do I have a right, to claim a promise that was made 2,500 years ago? Have you ever wondered? On what basis do I have a right to claim that promise? It's this. Anything that God promised anybody else, he promises me under like circumstances and like faith. If God, my brother, if God would do for you, if God would do for you and make you a promise and fulfill it, and he would not fulfill the same promise for me under like circumstances, what would he be? Not very loving. He wouldn't be very loving. He wouldn't be very fair. What do you say, brother? So anything that God promised anybody, he promises me. I think he'd be a liar. He would be a liar. And he says he's not. He's, he's and he says he's not. That's right. He would be a monster. That's right. He would be unfair. That's right. Because he... And you know, you know, another thing that God has done? You probably thought of it many times. Have you ever noticed little tiny children? I mean, six and seven. 
little Mary says, Mommy, you let Johnny go to town with you. Who was it put into that little girl's heart the thought, Mommy, you let Johnny go to town? It's the question of justice. Why don't you let me go? Who gave that little tiny tot that reasoning? The Lord. If mother took Johnny to town on Tuesday, Mary has just as much a right to go to town under like circumstances. Then mother may say, but, but Mary, I told Johnny he could go to town if he ate his spinach. You didn't eat your spinach, <laughs> you see. So I don't have a right to claim the promise God made to somebody else if I'm not willing, by his grace, to live up to the conditions that somebody else did. So don't forget this, brethren. Anything God ever promised to anybody, I have just as much right to claim under similar conditions. Otherwise, God would be a monster. You couldn't depend on him. God is not a man's monster. He's a wonderful savior. Amen? Amen? So that's the B of prayer. I believe because I believe God. I believe God is honest. I believe God is fair. I believe God is impartial. Can you say amen? amen. He's impartial. All right. Now, the C of prayer is the thing that's very, very important for us to learn, the C of prayer. What is the C of prayer? Claim. claim. Do you find that in the Bible, the word claim? You find in the word, in the Bible, a word that's similar to it. Matthew 21, 22 says, all things that we ask, Matthew 21, 22, all things that we ask, that's the A, in prayer believing, that's the B, we shall receive. He says, ask, believe, and receive. Well, why do we use the word claim? We did it to make it a little easier for people to remember. A, B, C, ask, believe, claim. But that isn't all. Notice how the word claim fits so beautifully. When we go to a baggage claim at an airport, what do we go to the baggage claim for? To receive our baggage. When I claim my baggage, I receive my baggage, right? When I receive my baggage, I claim my baggage, right? So we use it interchangeably, and so it'll be a little easier for people to remember. We say, ask, believe, and claim. Now, <clears throat> Tom and Louisa attended our series of meetings, and they heard about these ABCs of prayer. But there's something else that we shared that I'd like to share with all of us at this pr uh, particular presentation. What is this sea of prayer based on? To say, thank you, I've received. Here it is. You know, most praying people don't say, thank you, I've received. Isn't that right? We may say, Lord, I'd like to receive if you don't mind. But who do you ever hear praying saying, thank you, Lord, I've received. I may not see it yet, Lord, but I have it. You don't hear Christians praying that way. But that's what Jesus said to do. On what basis? It is on one basis only. And that basis is claiming what God has promised. For instance, what are the promises of God? What are they? Luke 8, 11. Jesus said the word of God is seed. So every promise in the Bible is a seed. Well, what's that have to do with prayer? This is what it has to do. Jesus drew from the book of nature and from the Bible and blended the two. Every apple seed contains what? Does anybody know? <clears throat> An apple tree. Do you know how many departments? Three departments. Trunk, two leaves and roots. 
Every persimmon seed contains a persimmon tree. Three departments, what? Trunk, two leaves and roots. Jesus said the word of God is seed. So every word of God, every promise in God's word, every promise contains the gift that is promised. When I read that 31 years ago in my terrible Gethsemane experience, brethren, I read it from a beautiful book entitled Education, pages 253 to 258. There it talked about prayer as a science. I'd been preaching for 25 years and never once knew that prayer was a science. And then it said the basis, this is the book, beautiful book, Education. Some of you may have read it. Pages 253 to 258. It said, since Jesus said the word of God is seed, that means that every one of these promises is a seed. Since every promise is a seed, every promise contains the gift that's promised. Just like an apple seed contains what? An apple tree. So a promise for wisdom contains the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Now, I can't, ex I can't understand it, can you? I can't understand how Jesus was born of a virgin. I cannot understand it. God came down. Where was he during those nine months? He was right where the Bible says he was. I cannot understand it, but I believe it because I believe the Bible. I cannot understand how a promise of God contains the gift that he promises. I believe it because Jesus said so. So now when I take a promise and by his grace fulfill the conditions, I can say, Lord, I'm putting this promise in the soil of a believing heart. Now, follow carefully. When you put an apple seed in soil, what do you have? An apple tree. When you put a promise in the soil of a believing heart, you have what? The gift that's promised. It's there. Now, can you see it at once? No. Can you see an apple tree in the apple seed at once? No. It has to germinate and mature. By and by, you see the little apple tree picking, pricking its head out. And still, you don't have the apples, apples yet. So it is with the promises. Some promises you get instant uh, gifts, like a promise for forgiveness and cleansing and salvation, eternal life. Like a promise for a soul to be saved, that's a maturing process. So now we ask, we believe, and we claim. How do we claim? We claim like this. I might go to the baggage claim, and as I receive my baggage, I say, oh, thank you. When Jesus claimed the promises of God at the grave of Lazarus, Jesus didn't just ask. He said, Father, this is John eleven forty one. Father, I thank you. You have heard me. How about that? God promised that he'd release. Christ could release the prisoners. That's the sea of prayer. So as you pray for wisdom, you say, thank you, Lord. You are giving me wisdom. And keep thanking him for giving you wisdom until you sense it and you realize it. See, that's what God wants us to do. All right. Tom and Louisa heard about these wonderful promises. My wife and I went back east. The next year we came back to another church only 20 miles from where Tom and Louisa lived. The very first night, I think it was, just before the service started, in comes Tom and Louisa. <laughs> you know, isn't fellowship a wonderful thing? I want to tell you, I guess I must have given them both a coon hug. <laughs> and after we exchanged greetings, <clears throat> Tom called me to one side, and he took a very serious, sober attitude. He said, we have a problem. He said, I wonder if you can help me. I said, yes, tomorrow night right after the meeting. I said, could you brief me regarding the problem just a little bit? 
He said, yes. He said, my wife, and she's 39 years of age, by the way. He said, my wife has become infatuated with a 20-year-old boy. I learned later that this 20-year-old boy didn't even have a job. And he said, my wife has become infatuated with this 20-year-old boy. But he said, Pastor, it's mostly my own fault. Now, I want you to notice this. It's mostly my own fault. You don't hear the faithful, quote, unquote. You don't usually hear a faithful mate saying to any pastor, my wife's infatuation is my fault. Do you? You know what they say? You ought to see what my wife is doing. It's mostly my own fault. I don't, I'm not sure he even put the word mostly. He said, I didn't give her the companionship she needed. I was with my, in my practice. I was in many church activities. I was with the Pathfinders. I had all kinds of hobbies. I was mowing the lawn and plus my, my hobbies. And he said, I didn't give her the companionship she needed. I said, all right. Tomorrow night, right after the, after the service is over, we'll see you in the pastor's study. Now, what are the ABCs of prayer? A is what everybody? Ask. Ask for what? What God has promised, and don't go beyond it. The B is what? Believe. Believe, Believe whom? God. And these promises are whose promises? God's promises for us. The C is what? Claim it by saying what? Thank you, Lord, I have received, though I don't sense it yet. Just like we say, thank you, I have an apple tree, though I don't see it yet. So the next night when they came, I was claiming two promises, as we do before every sermon, before every seminar, before every visit in every home. We claim two promises, one for the Holy Spirit, Spirit, Luke eleven thirteen, and the other for wisdom, James 1, 5. And Christ is made unto us wisdom. So as we walked into the study, Tom and, and Louisa and myself. Now remember also that one of the great uh, bases of communication is to talk faith. That's one of the seven secrets we discussed. Talk faith. And love, show love, faith, hope, and love. So as we walked into the pastor's study, I shook their hand, and I said, uh, I turned to Louisa and I said, uh, you are going to be delivered in just a few minutes. How about that? Because the gift is what? In the promise. The gift is in the promise. And if I could be used of God to help her to open her heart, and if it could be a believing heart, then you cast that promise into a believing heart, it's germinating. It has to be a believing heart. Not a feeling heart, but a believing heart. A feeling heart says, well, if I feel like, oh, I got it. No, 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 no. A believing heart says it's true because God said so no matter how I feel. See the difference? So I said, you're going to find deliverance the next few minutes. I said, and here's a promise. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, for as much as children, that's children of earth, are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Christ, himself took part of the same. That is, as we are flesh and blood, so Jesus, who is the creator of everything, he took on our flesh and blood. It says that he might deliver them, verse 15, that he might deliver them who all their lifetime were subject to bondage. 
He will deliver them who all their lifetime were subject to bondage. I said, Sister, you haven't been all your lifetime subject to bondage. No way. It's only been six months or so. If you'd been in that bondage all your life, this is the promise of God that you'd be delivered. And I said, we're going to use the ABCs of prayer. A is what? Ask. B is what? Believe. C is what? Claim it by saying, thank you, Lord, I have received. And I said, we'll kneel. Now, you notice, I didn't tell her what a wicked woman she was. Why tell her that? Why tell her that? Why, why go into orbit around her mistakes? By beholding, we're changed in the same image. Talk about deliverance. If you want your boys and girls delivered, talk about deliverance. If you want them to go to jail, tell them they're going to jail. If you want them to be criminals, tell them they'll probably be criminals. If you want them to be preachers and soul winners, say, I believe you're going to be a soul winner. We never, I never mentioned one thing about our sin. I said, here's the promise. God is going to deliver you. We're going to ask, we're going to believe, and we're going to claim. And I said, shall we kneel? And as I made the gesture to kneel, she said, Pastor, I, I don't seem to have any faith. I said, don't worry about that. Matthew 18, 19 says, if two of us agree, it'll be done. I turned to her husband. I said, Doctor, you agree that God's going to deliver her, don't you? He said, yes. And I said, I do. That makes two. But she said, I don't seem to. I said, you don't have to have three. Two is enough. <laughs> so I said, we'll kneel. And as I made a gesture again, she said, but Pastor, I just don't seem to have any faith. I said, did you ever hear about the geese that were migrating? One goose was shot very slightly by a hunter. It was able to fly with difficulty. And two geese noticing the difficulty immediately lapped their wings under this goose and carried it right along to a place of safety. A daddy goose, when his wife is, is wounded, he'll go right down and be with her till she gets well or dies. I said, if goose, if geese have that fellowship, shouldn't a coon have it? Amen. What do you say? Amen. So I made the gesture about three times. And finally, she consented. As we're on our knees, I led them in a phrase-by-phrase -phrase prayer that went something like this. Dear Lord, I ask you to deliver Louisa because you promised it. I believe you're doing it because you cannot lie. I thank you we've received deliverance because the gift is in the promise. And I rose and I shook her hand. I said, Louisa, you're delivered. And she kind of went like this. She could hardly believe it, but I believed it, and her husband believed it. You are set free, sister. We'll see you tomorrow night. I don't think we're in that study more than 15 minutes. The next night, they came early at the meeting. There are just a few people in the sanctuary, and I edged over where they were because we were quite early, walked in front of the pew where they were, and Louisa just bounded to her feet. She said, Pastor, she threw her arms around me. I am delivered completely. God has completely delivered me. I have no no attraction whatsoever. That young man has no attraction for me in any way, shape, or manner. They're missionaries now in a foreign field. My friends, don't you thank God for such a Savior? He is your Savior. He is your deliverer. If anyone needs a deliverer, he's waiting. So precious, my wonderful Savior. The first question. First question says, how can one know for sure that they are doing God's will after practicing the ABCs of prayer and not making decisions based on their own desires. For example, how does one know for sure God joined a marriage together and blessed it? How does one ever know for sure 
whether it is your will or God's will in making decisions. I always have doubt. Well, before the marriage, <clears throat> before the marriage, we can claim a promise. Some of you heard in another session where I related the experience that I had been engaged three times. <laughs> uh, the first girl I chose, the second girl my oldest brother chose, and the third one the Lord chose. And uh, I don't know that I did too much asking of the Lord with the first one. They're all good girls, but they weren't cut out for me or I for them. Uh, I don't think I asked the Lord very much. I saw this girl, and she had a lovely face, and she was a lovely girl, and I, I just decided she was for me, you see. The second one, my brother said, she's the one, so I took his counsel, <laughs> and she's a wonderful woman, but not for me. The third one, I was on my knees as much as a half an hour at a time again and again and again saying, Lord, I want you to choose, because I've had the heart break twice already, and their hearts have broken. And I don't want to break any more hearts, and I don't want anybody else to break my heart. So I said, Lord, you reveal. And as I prayed, the Lord kind of went down a list of characteristics of the individual that I should have as a wife. And she agreed with me in, in total, totality, religiously. And we have, ever since we we're married, we have no differences in religion. That means something, brethren. So, but God helped me, you see. The Lord gave me the wisdom. And again and again, I, I, was, I was scared because of the past experience. I said, Lord, I don't want to get into this again. I mean, when I broke off with that first girl, it seemed like my heart was breaking. And I know hers was. So, first of all, we kneel down. Now, George Mueller has left this story. <clears throat> when he asked God for wisdom, it, he said many times, or, or the, those who've written concerning him, said that he would open the Bible. He would pray before the open Bible. The open Bible was sort of a symbol that he would depend on the Lord instead of his way, see? And he said he would pray day after day until he had no will of his own. That's it. Keep praying until you're sure you have no will of your own. Then the Lord can get through, you see. As long as I've practically made up my mind already, <laughs> you see. Like Samson, he said to his parents, Oh, I must, she pleaseth me well. <laughs> she pleased him well before he married her. But after he married her, brother, didn't he go through the, the works, you see. So here we are, asking God to give us no will of our own. And then he said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, as you ask God, there's another text that goes with it. It's Isaiah 118, the first part. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Reasoning is putting one thing against another, balancing. So you'll go through the various areas of marriage. Are you in agreement physically? Are you in agreement spiritually, religiously? What about finances? Who's going to be the boss? Or how are you going to decide on finances? Are you going to deal with finances? Uh, are you going to do impulse purchasing? Talk it all over. See if you're in agreement. Are you going to have two different bank accounts with your first wife? Yours and hers? Or are you going to be one? You see? 
Uh, so you go down through learning, education. Uh, are either of you going to feel belittled because the other has more educational advantages? Go through all of these areas and study, study carefully. This is how you'll know. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. See? A house divided against itself cannot stand. Mark 3, 29 to 33. So this is the time to study. And as you study, be free to use your paper, just like you folk are taking notes who are with us right here. And as I told, I mentioned in another session that my wife and I once received a call, you remember, to another church? Great big church, you know, ministers always like to go to a bigger church. They feel like they're succeeding. Every man wants to be successful. And we both thought at once, and it was a mission field, we both felt at once we should go to the mission field. We drew a line down through the center of our page, we put for going on one side, we put against going on the other, and for every reason for going, there was a bigger reason for staying when we had no will of our own. So God will bless you as you do it. Next question. The questioner says, what is the relationship of two people claiming promises in the presence of a third person? Uh, is at least a willing heart necessary on the part of the third person? Well, in the first place, if I understand this correctly, suppose that, uh, suppose that uh, let's say this brother here and I were claiming a promise for a third man, like the one right in my right here. Now, he and I are, are claiming a promise for his salvation in his presence. He's not asked us to pray for him. What would the effect be of two of us praying audibly, claiming a promise that he'd be saved when he hasn't even asked to be saved? What would be the effect on him? Turn him off. Turn him off. Because we're high-pressuring him. If we want to pray for his salvation, let us not embarrass him. He doesn't have to be hearing it unless he's asking for help, right? If he's asking for help, then the three of us are praying. And while we two are praying for him, let's not forget humility means this. We're saying, Lord bless, Lord bless Jim. He's asked us to pray for him. But Lord, we need your power in our lives too. This way, we're all in the same boat. The Bible says esteeming other better than ourselves. Never pray for somebody else in his presence or out of his presence as though he were, were unworthy and we were worthy. All we like sheep have what? gone astray. Sometimes I ask in a seminar like this, I say, how many backsliders are there here? And maybe three raise their hand. And I say, we're all backsliders, only three knew it. All we like sheep have gone astray. So when we're praying for people, let's never get, give ourselves even the impression that we now are all right. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he what? lest he fall. And if we're praying for a brother, two of us are praying for a brother, put ourselves right in the same boat. When I pray for an alcoholic, fine alcoholic came in to see me. I said, brother, we'll pray for your alcoholism. But while we're praying for your alcoholism, I want to make one thing very clear. I'm not a bit better than you are. I may not be as good as you are. For the greater light that I have, the more responsible I am. You see? The, the priest of Israel had to offer for himself, for his sin, the equivalent of all Israel combined. See? So when we are soul winners, we must be extremely careful not to give ourselves or anybody else the impression that we're pretty all right. 
but we'll pray for that rascal. No, no, no. We're praying for another man who has the same temptations we have. We're praying for somebody else who has to confront the same devil that we have to. And let us realize we're not safe a moment except through Jesus Christ. Amen. Our uh, prayers, like that of Tom and Louise's, always answered so fast. Does God answer certain kinds of prayers fast and others over a long duration? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And you know why? Now, there are many reasons. One of the reasons why theirs was answered so rapidly, I'm going to ask if somebody has an, can give us your thought of why theirs was answered. There are several reasons. Somebody raise your hand and give us an idea. Why would you believe that their prayer was, our prayer for her was answered so very quickly when sometimes it might be years? Anyone have a thought on that? Uh, she, she, she believed, though she did not dare to express it. She tried to believe. She was fighting the battle of faith. But there was something else that was very, very, is very important. Her husband, instead, he, he had a believing heart. He had a what? Her husband had the believing heart. He had a believing heart. And something else her husband had. When he first came to me and told me about it, what did he say about himself? He said he was mostly at fault. I have found, my friends, that the, the prayers that can be answered the most quickly of this type are answered when we take a humble attitude. You see, if he'd come to me, and if he'd talked to her along this line, if he'd said, listen, you know, I can't understand. Here you are. You've brought reproach on me. You've brought reproach on society. You've brought reproach on the church. What would that do to her? That would alienate her. But instead of that, he said, Honey, I'm so sorry. It's my fault. When we humble ourselves before God, we can get answers. Now, notice, notice a text that agrees with that. James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He confessed his fault and prayed for her and she was healed. Healed of infatuation. Now, most mates whose, whose mate is infatuated, they come to preacher and they confess their mate's faults. He never once confessed, he merely identified the problem. It's my fault. God then could work through us, right? Now, there's a text, another text that goes with that. It's Isaiah 57, 15. And it goes like this. It's a tremendous thing, showing how God answers prayer. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place with him also that's of a humble and contrite spirit. God is eager to answer the prayer of the humble. Now, having said that, not all prayers will be answered that fast anyway. Did I tell you some time ago that when my wife and I first learned the ABCs of prayer, <clears throat> we were praying for $6,000 for a farm. We got that answer miraculously, just like that. After we got that farm, we were transferred 1,000 miles away. We prayed for 12 long years that God would sell that farm. Now, why was that delay? It was not because of our lack of faith. It was for another purpose. 
my wife and I had made it a practice all our married life to turn every penny that we could back to charity. Every penny that we could. We loved to do it. Our father set us the example before us. Had we sold that place 12 years before we did, I'm telling you, we have never had a penny to bought any retirement place. We had to just, we had to sacrifice. We almost worked our fingernails off trying to meet those payments. My wife, bless her heart, was so thrifty. <laughs> when we owed that money, she said, I'm not going to buy a lot of stuff while we owe money. She cooked for me in a corn popper for months, I believe. You know, corn popper doesn't cost as much as, a, as an electric stove. So we saved from every angle that we could think of. When the 12 years was finished and the place sold, we had enough money to pay our debts and to buy ourselves a little retirement place up in the mountains of Tennessee. So the Lord has many reasons. It isn't just always because we're selfish or, or not humble, but let's be unselfish. Let's be humble, you see. Then let the Lord answer as fast as he sees best. I think there's another question coming up right now. Yes. Why should we keep asking the same thing over and over? We're told to persist in prayer. But when we believe the first time we ask and give thanks that we have received it the very first time we ask, why should we go on asking and asking? Two, two phases of this. Two phases. Matthew 7, 7 quotes Jesus as saying, Ask, it shall be given you. The scholars tell us that that word ask comes from an original word meaning ask and keep on asking. I never knew that till a few years ago myself. I didn't know that, but that's what the, the scholars tell us. It means ask and keep on asking. Now, when my wife and I, the next phase is this, of the answer, is this. I found in, my, in the writings of my favorite author in a beautiful book entitled Christ Object Lessons. In my edition, it's page 146. Yours, it might be 144. It says, Jesus does not say ask once. Isn't that amazing how that author had that concept? Probably that author knew nothing about the original Greek. Our Savior does not say ask once. The continual asking, this author says, brings us into a place where we have a greater longing to receive. In other words, as we continue to ask, our hearts continue to open. You might call it fine-tuning of a little radio into a broadcast, you see. The third is this. I've made it a practice for years. When I've once asked and believed and claimed, then to go into the sea of prayer, which says, thank you, Lord, I'm receiving. Did you know when you say, thank you, Lord, for giving me this, did you know that you're actually using A and B and C? Let me illustrate. There was a man that came to our home when I was a little tyke. There were eight of us boys. We had to have a great big table for eight coons, uh, ten coons, dad and mother, too. A long table. This guest came, stranger, outer stranger. They sat him down at the end of the table. I, was, I can still remember, I was sitting almost at the end of the other table, the, the other end of the table. Uh, somehow we overlooked, after he'd eaten a while, we overlooked something that he had finished eating. He needed some more, like bread. Now, if he were to ask, believe, and claim like we did, he would say, will you please pass the bread? That's asking, isn't it? Then when he saw it coming, he'd say, he'd say in his heart, I believe it's coming. <laughs> 
And when it came there, he might say, thank you. He didn't do anything of the kind. He, he, he smiled, and he bowed graciously, and he said, I would thank you for the bread. And I wanted to giggle. I'd never heard a person ask that way before. Wasn't he asking for bread? Wasn't he believing we're going to send it? Wasn't he thanking us for it? So after I ask and believe and tell God I claim it, I then go almost totally into the sea of prayer. Thank you, Lord, you're doing it. Thank you, Lord, you're doing it. Thank you, Lord, it's taking place. Thank you, Lord, you're fulfilling your promise. When I say, thank you, Lord, you're doing it, it's A, B, C, all in one. Don't be afraid to do it. Don't think you're presumptuous. You're not telling God how to do it, you see. If we started telling God how to do it and when to do it, there would be presumption. Our infinite God with infinite wisdom and the infinite love of Calvary knows the how and the when better than we do, right? So, Lord, I ask. Lord, I believe. And Lord, I claim. And now from now on, Lord, I thank you you're doing it. Thank you you're doing it. Next one. This questioner says, James 5.16 says to confess your faults to each other. Does that mean sins? If so, does a husband or wife have to confess to his mate each time he experiences lustful thoughts? That's a good question. What, you know, all Bible doctrine clusters around one thing. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Prayer itself. You, nobody can fully understand prayer except as they understand prayer in the character of God. Nobody can understand confession except they understand the character of God. Does God want confession to break a home or to build a home? That's why you find in that wonderful series of Bible studies in a little book called Steps to Christ that the confession should only be as great as the knowledge. Isn't that wonderful? The confession should only be as broad as the knowledge of the sin. It doesn't mean we go around lying to each other and say, I never did, I never did. No, no, no. The confession should only be as broad as the knowledge. When I have scolded my mate, then I can sit down and say, will you forgive me for scolding you? She knew I scolded her. <laughs> See? But I don't have to say, honey, today about 11.30, I, just for an instant, I was thinking about another woman. No, no. In the first place, I didn't. <laughs> In the second place, if the devil tempted me, he tempts all of us. <laughs> no, no, no. Aren't you glad for that? In fact, we've counseled many men who have actually been unfaithful to their wives. Not to go around confessing an unfaithfulness of which the wife knows nothing, or vice versa. Don't go around doing that. The purpose of confession is to build unity, not to break a home. Now, if a person finds that he continues to commit this same sin, and he finds the only way by which he can break is for him to say to his wife, I've been doing this thing so many times, fine, and some do that. The Holy Spirit impresses them. But this is not the general overall plan at all. Don't go around confessing all of the sordid things that the devil's trying to put in our minds. Don't do it. Aren't you glad for that? One man came to me one day. I had told about how a man confessed to his wife his unfaithfulness. This man went home and confessed to his wife that he had molested their child. He came the next day and he said, my wife was ready to murder me all night. 
Oh, I said, I'm sorry, brother, that I didn't make that clear. You should have flown, fled to God and said, oh, God, keep me from being that kind of a monster. I've never been able to understand how a man could molest his own daughter, could you? But if he does, God forgives it. Amen? Amen. God forgives it. And let him say, oh, Lord, give me such a hatred for this thing. I'll never engage in it again. But don't go around telling people all the mistakes we make. It doesn't do any good. I remember when I was a little boy, I heard one of my older brothers tell of a preacher that he went with. His name was Pastor Russell, Kit Carson Russell. And this man was encouraging the people one night to get up and confess their faults. No, 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 no. He was encouraging them to get up and give testimonies to Jesus. And they were giving some testimonies, and it began to run into a confession. There publicly as a meeting, one person said, I'm sorry, I've had bad thoughts. I thank God he'll forgive me. And a lady got up after a while and she said, Pastor Russell, I want to confess that I haven't liked you at all. She said, and I don't know how I ever could like you, but I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? <laughs> See, <laughs> the Lord doesn't want that kind of a confession, right? No. If she'd fallen in love with him, I mean, if she, as a Christian, she said, I didn't like it one time I do now, it might have been all right, <laughs> but not the other. Thank you. Is there one more question? Yes, Pastor Kuhn, if the victory that overcomes the world is our faith, as it says in 1 John 5, 4, then what did Jesus do? I'm confused. Am I victorious by what I do or what Jesus did? You're victorious by both. By both. The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. You might be interested in the book, Desire of Ages. In the early chapters, there's a chapter entitled Days of Conflict. And it tells how Jesus gained the, the victory over the devil by claiming scripture. And it gives at least five different temptations that came to Jesus. And in each case, he said, it is written. Then you'll find this beautiful statement that he's our example. And the same way by which he gained the victory, we may have the victory. By thy word have I kept me back from the paths of the destroyer, Psalm 17, 15. Now are you clean through the word that I've spoken, John 15, verse 3. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We are workers together with God. By faith we accept his victory, but we accept it the way he received it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org